Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Good weekend. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I appreciate you stopping by again this weekend. If you're a newcomer to the show, then welcome aboard. But if you're a regular listener or a patron, then uh, thank you for that continued support. Have a terrific lineup for this week's episode. But first, a reminder, Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best and uh, proud to have them as a title sponsor here on the Pipeline Show. Available in three Edmonton and area locations. They would be Spruce Grove, Leduc, and of course the kiosk at West Edmonton Mall. But if you don't happen to be in the Edmonton area, you can go to their website. That's wilhockbeefjerky.com, and they will ship it to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. That is the cutoff. Western Canada, and get yourself some delicious Wilhock beef jerky. As always, we start with some news and notes. I do have four guests coming up. I'll tell you who they are that will join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. But let's start with the CHL playoffs. So one team eliminated in the queue. We're down to three. We know that the Quebec Rempart are into the final, and they await the winner between the Halifax Mooseheads and the Sherbrooke Phoenix. That series tied 2-2 after Halifax captured game four on Thursday night, 5-2 the final in that score. Very interesting. That that series is it's a road team series. Sherbrooke winning the first two, both in Halifax, and then the Mooseheads coming back and winning the next two, both in Sherbrooke. Halifax has home ice advantage, but that seems to uh, not matter uh, thus far in the series. Three games to go. In the OHL, both series are deadlocked 2-2. That features the London Knights and the Sarnia Sting, uh, and uh, the opposite of what we see in the queue between Halifax and uh, Sherbrooke. This one is a homer series. The London Knights winning the first two at home and Sarnia winning the next two at home. And in that series, it's London with home ice advantage. So as they get down to a best of three, the Knights, you could argue, have... I'd say they have control, but it's Sarnia who has momentum. They've won the last two games. And on the other side, they've gone back and forth. North Bay and Peterborough deadlocked at two. Peterborough win in game one. North Bay gets Game 2, the Peets come back with Game 3, and the Battalion take Game 4. Next game in all those series uh, goes on Friday, except the one in the queue. That one uh, they played Thursday night, so they're not going to play Game 5 until Saturday. And in the Western Hockey League, 
the Winnipeg Ice swept aside the Saskatoon Blades, who, in my opinion, they look tired. Winnipeg's a very good team, but uh, we've seen Saskatoon play much better than they did in that series, and I have to think it's what we talked about last week. Uh, you get through an emotional seven-game series against the Regina Pats that included three games that went to overtime. Then you square off against the Red Deer Rebels, and that was a hard, physical, long series, seven games again. And then to have to take that, elevate your play even further against uh, the Winnipeg Ice, uh, a lot to ask there from Saskatoon. So uh, not surprised that Winnipeg won the series. Maybe a little surprised that it only took four games. Uh, but Winnipeg into the WHL final, where they await the winner between Seattle and Kamloops. Game four wrapping up on Thursday with a... Uh, 8-4 to four victory for the T-Birds. They go back home. Game 5 will be on Saturday, and Seattle could close out that series if they're able to win that game on Saturday. They lead the series three games to one. We know nine of the ten teams for the 2023 Centennial Cup. That is the uh, national championship uh, for junior A hockey here in Canada. Nine CJHL leagues and a host team. That would be the Portage Terriers in Manitoba. The other clubs that we know for sure will be the Steinbach Pistons out of uh, Manitoba, the Battleford North Stars from Saskatchewan, the Brooks Bandits from here in Alberta, the Cam River Fighting Walleye from the Superior International Junior Hockey League, that's around the northern Great Lakes region, the Collingwood Blues from the OJHL, the Timmins Rock out of the Northern Junior Hockey League in Ontario, the Cobras of Terraborn from Quebec, and the Yarmouth Mariners from the uh, Maritime Hockey League. We are waiting to see who comes out of the CCHL. It's going to be either Ottawa or Smith Falls. That will join the other teams in Portage, Manitoba. That tournament gets going May 11th, next week. Uh, meanwhile, the team that or a league that used to be in the CJHL is no longer and haven't been for a couple of years now. That would be the BCHL. The final's almost set. Albany Valley. Don't see them in the uh, final all that often. Well, they're there now, and uh, that's after a sweep of the Chilliwack Chiefs in the uh, conference final. Uh, they await the winner between the Penticton Vs and the Salmon Arm Silverbacks. Uh, Salmon Arm extending that series to five games after an overtime victory against Penticton. That was the first loss for the Vs in the playoffs. The Vs uh, very much still the heavy favorites. We're going to talk some BCHL in this week's episode. In fact, our my first guest coming up all about the BCHL today is a huge news from that league. We'll get to that momentarily. So through the border, the USHL playoffs continue on and uh, the conference finals getting underway with the Fargo Force, a one nothing victory over the Lincoln Stars on Thursday night. Uh, Friday night will be game two and a uh, game one in the other series that has Youngstown going to Chicago to take on the Steel. And lastly, the North American Hockey League get down to the uh, division finals. No big upsets in the uh, first round other than uh, Maine, who took out the defending champs. Uh, Maine now will play against the Maryland Black Bears. The Black Bears uh, were the top team in their division. Uh, Austin has home ice advantage against the St. Cloud Norsemen, as does Wisconsin against the Minnesota Wilderness and uh, the Shreveport Mudbugs on the road to start their series against Oklahoma. The only college news that I can pass on, uh, a story that I saw at College Hockey News, uh, written by Adam Woden, about uh, some tensions at the annual meetings down in Florida around the transfer portal. I guess there was a, a, an incident between a couple of coaches, a St. Thomas assistant coach and uh, an assistant coach from the Michigan Wolverines, got into a heated scuffle. Uh, you can find that story at College Hockey News. 
All right, as you know, all my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. The Tap Room and the Brewery both open in Red Deer. You can go in and get some uh, some grub. You can also sit down and enjoy some beverages that they have exclusively on tap there in Red Deer. You can also get some apparel while you're in town. Uh, but if you're uh, around the rest of Alberta, go to your local liquor store and they will have it in stock or they can get it for you. See all the beverages that uh, Troubled Monk has to offer by going to troubledmonk.com slash shop. All right, the guest list this week and the order that we will uh, have those conversations. Uh, first off, it will be Brian Weeb from the BCHL Network. We, again, uh, talking about the BCHL, huge news uh, from the league this week as uh, they announced very early in the week that they are leaving Hockey Canada. They will become an independent league. And uh, what that means moving forward, I had to ask Brian Weeb for all the details. Uh, he is the man behind BCHL Network and a great conversation with him. That will start the show off. Uh, from there, a conversation with the goaltender of the Brooks Bandits, who was named the AJHL MVP in the playoffs. His name is Ethan Barwick. He comes from St. Albert. And uh, next season, he will be playing Division I college hockey for Lindenwood. Another goaltender after that segment, as we turn on the 2023 draft spotlight, Scott Ratzleff uh, from the Seattle Thunderbirds is on the show this week. Get to know him. Uh, ranked number four in North America when it comes to goaltenders for the upcoming NHL draft. That, of course, by NHL Central Scouting. And uh, we will end this week's episode with a look at some of the names that uh, WHL teams will be uh, trying to draft next week in the WHL draft. I don't know anything about the guys who are uh, up for the draft, so I have to call on somebody who does. And that's uh, Joel Henderson from Puck Preps. So lots to get to. Let's get right to it. Brian Weeb from the BCHL Network. He's up first. That's next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Coach Dibbon could not resist leaving Newhook out there. Newhook will wind up out of his own zone. He went from Newfoundland to Victoria last year. Here he goes. Wide around the middle. Newhook shoots. Scores! He does it again! Hi, it's Alex Newhook of the Victoria Grizzlies, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hey, everybody. An old man's talking. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and we're going to begin this week's episode uh, with uh, an update from the BCHL, the British Columbia Hockey League, uh, making some big news this week. But uh, before we get to it, uh, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey. It's Alberta's best, but hey, you can get it in BC. You can get it anywhere in Western Canada, as a matter of fact. Go to their website. That's WilhawkBeefJerky.com. W-I-L-H-A-U-K BeefJerky.com. All right, the BCHL uh, making some big news. We'll get to that. And uh, a playoff update as we're uh, pleased to be joined here by Brian Weeb, who uh, is the man behind the BCHL network. Uh, Brian, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Keith. Thanks so much for having me on. 
I appreciate it. And uh, it's a busy time for the BCHL. Not only is it playoffs, but some, the league is making some big news here this week. But uh, we can't get to that without touching on the playoffs. Now, for those who the the listeners, for their benefit, as we're chatting right now, it's Tuesday evening. So games three are going tonight in the semifinal. Uh, game four tomorrow. So by the time this is available for most people, uh, it might actually be over the uh, the third round in the BCHL. Uh, where are things standing right now, though, as we speak? Well, I mean, if uh, by the time someone hears this on Friday uh, and and both series are over, that means both series were a sweep mm-hmm. um, in, in the favor of the higher seeded team. So Alberni Valley, the Bulldogs, they have a two nothing lead heading into Game Three tonight over the Chilliwack Chiefs. And the Penticton V's just continue to roll uh, with a 2 nothing lead against the Salmon Arm Silverbacks. The V's have uh, yet to lose a playoff game so far this year. It's just uh, domination from Penticton again, and we're, we're kind of used to seeing that more often than not. They're the top team in the BCHL. We see that uh, with other uh, junior A leagues uh, in Canada as well, and certainly here in Alberta, it's, it's always Brooks and Spruce Grove at the top. Uh, I, I make an argument that that's not necessarily good for the league. What do you think about... Uh, Penticton always being the top seed, uh, or almost always being the top team in the BCHL. Is it is that a good thing for the league? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. And I mean, as we saw this year in the NHL playoffs, I mean, being the top team all the time doesn't mean you win. I mean, the Boston Bruins lost in the first round. Um, and, and if that were the case with the Vs, that would mean that they would win every single year, and, and they don't. And so there are situations where, and granted, we came through the COVID seasons and, and things like that, but uh, the Penticton Bs are not the BCHL champions of the playoffs every single season. And so as a result, you know, you get into the playoffs, you never know what might happen. And so I think the regular season success is something, obviously, that other teams want to try to strive for. And mm-hmm. when it comes to moving players on to NCAA Division One, that's something that other teams want to strive for. But uh, I don't think it's a fait accompli every year that the Vs uh, will win the entire league in the playoffs. Although that being said, they have not lost a playoff game since game one of the first round a year ago. And uh, looking at the four teams that are left, uh, I think the standings, uh, regular season standings, Penticton's got about a 40-point advantage over the three other teams, something like that. I mean, it, on paper, it's Penticton and everybody else is a distant, uh, distant afterthought at this point. That's true, but there was a point uh, a few years back where uh, the, the the lowest seed, uh, sort of in a wild card crossover, the Cowichan Valley Capitals ended up knocking off the V's uh, in the playoffs. So I, I mean, I think that the dominance is something that is a benchmark to set, and I think that some of the standards with the South Okanagan Convent Center and some of the other things that the V's do are are worth measuring up to. Um, but I, I wouldn't, I mean, again, depending what happens in, in games three and four, I wouldn't count out the salmon arm silverbacks. They've got an NHL draft, um, ranked prospect on their team in Owen Beckner and, uh, the salmon arm is a tough team. And so I, I think that, uh, sure the V's might win given that they're up to nothing in that series as of now, but, uh, salmon arm is no slouch. Uh, Brian, does uh, Fred Harbinson, uh, I mean, he's got such a track record, and I think that probably is the biggest asset that he has when it comes to recruiting. Uh, but do the Vs have some sort of other advantage the, over every other team in the BCHL that they just seem to be able to find players? I mean, they're not the only team in the in the country that has uh, sort of a distinctive advantage in some way or another. Uh, but what is it about uh, Penticton and, and Fred and his program that just seem, they just seem to be able to find players? 
Well, I think there's a few things. One is definitely the the legacy that that Fred Harbinson has been able to build in that city. Um, the fact going all the way back to 10 years ago when they were setting records and with players like Mike Riley and Troy Stetcher on the team and mm-hmm. follows just into recruiting from, you know, when they get Tyson Jost and they get Dante Fabro and those types of players. And, and so I think that um, success brews success. And so I think that it took that foundation um, for Fred to build upon, which even before him getting there in the mid 2000s was also already established when you had a team that's alumni is, you know, it's both Paul Correa and Brett Hall and Duncan Keith and Andy Moog and, and Brendan Morrison and some of these great, great players that went on to successful NHL and in some cases, Hall of Fame careers. And so that's well before Fred even got to Penticton. And so I think that there was a solid foundation there. And I think the building itself is, is also a, a really big draw. It's a fantastic facility there. Um, I remember the first time that I went into the South Okanagan Event Center for me at being here in Vancouver, I, I sort of, you know, remember going to Canucks games at, at what was then GM place. And that SOEC in Penticton is a mini NHL building. And we've seen it with the Young Stars tournaments that, you know, Vancouver and Calgary and Edmonton and Winnipeg have taken part in. Um, And so I think that that's one thing that is is already a a big draw for players when they go there. They feel like they're walking into an NHL rink, and that can't be said for every every arena in the BCHL. What's the capacity of that rink? Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Um, Just as I look it up, yeah, there's how much it costs to build. Oh, yeah, for hockey, it's 4700 Okay, and compared to the other 17 uh, facilities in the BCHL, that's far and away the largest? Uh, not in terms of, of capacity. I mean, Cranbrook obviously has what used to be a WHL rink, so, you know, there's some standards there in terms of the, the facility in Cranbrook. And same thing in Chilliwack, I mean, where the Chiefs play, right. uh, used to be the home of the Bruins. And so uh, definitely those types of arenas, would be the ones that are sort of the crown jewels of the BCHL. And, and it's not an apples to apples comparison. Um, I think about the arena in Merritt, which I think was originally built uh, in the late sixties. Uh, and it's had some upgrades obviously since then, but even at its best point, the, the arena in Merritt has, I think eight or nine rows and that's it. So it's a small rink, but the league has standards now. So if Merritt was to ever, look at being an expansion club, it wouldn't get one because the building wouldn't be up to standards that the league uh, requires at this point, but it's grandfathered in because of the lineage that Merritt has with the Centennials. Brian Weeb is my guest. He's the man behind BCHL Network. All right, let's get to the big news of the week, Brian. You're going to have to educate probably most of the audience because there'll be a lot of people north and south of the border who might not zero in on the BCHL all that often. But it's significant news that the league has been making, and it's not just this week, but over the last two or three years as well, leaving uh, the Canadian Junior Hockey League umbrella, and and now with the choice or the decision to move away from Hockey Canada as well. Maybe give us the Coles notes and, and explain the, uh, the the reasons why and, and what it means. Oh, are you saying they made a big announcement this week? I must have missed that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was... It was earth-shattering, the announcement. Not the fact that it happened, because it had been rumored for about a month now. I know that uh, Jeff Merrick mentioned it on on Hockey Night Canada, and and that set off a lot of ripples. Um, It's something that's been discussed for quite some time. And so when the announcement came down on Monday, that's really when rubber hit the road, and it was finally made public, some of the details about it. And so uh, one of the main reasons for the BCHL seeking out this autonomy away from Hockey Canada is recruiting. And because in junior A hockey, uh, players who are under the age of 18, meaning they're in high school, 
uh, right up to grade 12, they are not allowed to leave their branch of hockey, which in BC is BC hockey, hockey, Alberta and Alberta, et cetera. And so that, that happens in, in the BCHL. And so as a result, the only way that a player who's U18 from outside the province can play junior A in that province is if uh, his family changes residence. And so parents either have to, you know, rent an apartment or a townhouse or something somewhere in that city where, where that player wants to play or they have to and, and physically move there with a guardian uh, for that player. And the one thing that's sort of stuck in the craw of the BC Hockey League is, and if we take Connor Bedard as an example, um, Connor Bedard played, you know, for, for um, Regina as a 15-year-old, and he's from North Vancouver. Well, in theory, based on the same rules the BCHL has to follow, Bedard wouldn't be able to leave BC to play. Um, yet, because the Canadian Hockey League has a different rule um, re- relating to that under the Hockey Canada umbrella, that's what the BCHL thought was unfair. And so it ended up, and it's happened over the years, where players, families are literally forced to move um, just so that their kids can play hockey in BC because they feel that's the best path uh, to college hockey in the United States. And so that's the biggest sticking point uh, is the fact that by leaving Hockey Canada, the BCHL and its teams no longer have to adhere to that regulation and, and they basically can recruit any 16-plus player from anywhere across Canada. Now take me back to, what was it, three years ago when they left the CJHL or was that only two seasons ago now? I've kind of lost it, but... I'm wondering, is is this week's news sort of the next step after what they did two or three years ago by leaving the CJHL? Was it just natural progression? And, and, and what set the ball in motion for that decision back then? Well, the the I think what happened with leaving the, the CJHL was the idea that, the, that Hockey Canada, because CJHL and Hockey Canada have an agreement, and they work together, and... Ultimately, that was the impetus to this. Like that was the first step right. that what led up to Monday's announcement about leaving Hockey Canada. And so, really, what it came down to is is the BCHL said, "Look, you can't compare teams in certain leagues and say that it's the exact same thing across the country. That's just not the way that it is uh, in terms of the caliber of the league and the way that it's scouted and the number of draft picks that it gets and and all that kind of stuff. And that's not just common to BC. I mean, there's other leagues, including in Alberta, the AJHL, um, is not the same, uh, and I mean it's better, than some of the other junior A leagues out there. And so what the BCHL was saying was like, how how can the CJHL treat every team and every league equal across the country when that's not the case? Yeah, I understand that. And I know the league had put out, was it earlier this past fall, like in the fall of 2022, a a big Big written uh, statement, basically de- declaring what their intentions were, or their re- their reasoning for it. All I read through it, it made made some pretty good sense to me at the time. I-, I wonder if that was almost put Hockey Canada's feet to the fire a little bit and try to get them going. And th- sometimes the machinery uh, moves slowly. And of course, with all the off ice uh, <laughs> uh, stuff Hockey Canada has been dealing with the last year or two, maybe that finally the BCHL just said, "Okay, if you're not going to do it, let's just go." Is that is that where we're at now? Yeah, I mean, that's one thing that, that uh, Chief Executive Officer Chris had mentioned to me in an interview that I did with him um, that's posted on our website. And, and he said there came a time where we had to fish or cut bait. And they decided to put it to a vote for their Board of Governors, and they cut bait. Because I think that in the, in the cog of Hockey Canada, the BCHL sees itself, and Junior A in general for that matter, as, as being 
kind of ignored and kind of uh, underrepresented. And when you see the the players that you know represent Canada at the World Juniors and at the U18s, like it's predominantly um, populated by players who are taking the major junior path in, in terms of their hockey development. And so the BC Hockey League was kind of you know, ticked off that they were like, well, how come there isn't this massive amount of support for players who want to play in the NHL and want to go from junior A to the collegiate route to the NHL that way, considering the number of players that are are currently in the NHL that came from the NCAA ranks. And that's growing more and more by the year. And so that was the one thing that they really were kind of not pleased with was the fact that um, they weren't getting that support they felt from their their governing body of hockey of the sport and uh, and felt like, Hey, you know what? We need to be paid attention to this is important to us. And if you're not going to pay attention to us, well then we're going to, we're going to go without, we're going to go it alone without your support because we don't feel we're getting it anyway. Well, the ramifications for leaving the CJHL are one of the things, a couple of the things that uh, have happened since then. We don't see any BCHL players representing Canada at the U world junior a challenge. We don't see any BCHL team, the champion, uh, playing in the Centennial Cup, that sucks. Uh, it those those events are weaker now because of that. Uh, moving forward, leaving Hockey Canada, does anything else uh, further separate the BCHL? Like, is there other aspects that basically we're going to be treating the BCHL in Canada much like we consider the USHL? Correct? Yeah, kind of. Although the USHL is sanctioned by USA Hockey, right? And so, so it's under that umbrella. So is the North American Hockey League. So. The, the level of tier that the BCHL is looking to play at here in Canada, and, and, and Canada and U.S. hockey structure is totally different, but um, really those aren't the same thing. And so could there be a situation where a BCHL player wouldn't be permitted to play, say, in the World Juniors? Well, I guess so. But the fact is that BCHL players rarely make the World Junior team anyway. Right. And if they do, it's, it's usually come after they've already graduated the BC, the junior ranks, and they're playing in college. Yeah. Um, you know, when you think of, of some of the players over the years, including Paul Korea, I mean, he did play for Canada at the World Juniors in the early 90s, uh, while still a member of the then Penticton Panthers. And, and so, but those are anomalies. Like, it's not, it's not common at all for a BCH player um, to, to play in the World Juniors. So the World Junior A Challenge is something that that, that kind of bugs me because Again, it's like, does Hockey Canada want to put the best team on the ice to represent the country, or does it want to play politics with a league that it, it doesn't agree with the thought process? You know, and, and I mean, that argument's even been made, honestly, Guy, about NCAA players coming to play um, for, for Hockey Canada sure. sanctioned tournaments like the World Juniors. Like, you know, could there, every year there's usually one or two that come from the NCAA ranks. Well, you know what? Every year it probably could be three or four. That might be a whole other show, uh, Brian. We can get into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, maybe have me on for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, you mentioned about how the USHL and the NAHL, they're under the USA Hockey uh, banner. Could that be an option for the BCHL? To, to jump under the USA Hockey banner? You got one team based in the United States. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I can't say for sure. Like, I, I honestly don't know what the logistics of that would be. I do know that the Wenatchee Wild as the lone American-based team in the, in the BCHL, does fall under the jurisdiction of USA Hockey. Like, Wenatchee has a completely different rule, rule, roster rule as it relates to, to import players and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So even though 
Wenatchee is part of this decision that the BCHL made because the league itself is sanctioned Mm -hmm. by Hockey Canada and Wenatchee plays under those rules, or at least did until now the upcoming 23-24 season. Um, uh, Ultimately, Wenatchee is governed by USA Hockey. So I don't know. I guess guess it's a possibility, but I have a feeling that uh, really what the BCHL wants to do is it it wants to create a, a tier of hockey that is elite in Canada that is a higher level than, quote, Junior A. Um, and then what people would say, of course, if, if the CHL is the, is the pinnacle of junior hockey in Canada, then the BCHL would fall somewhere between the CHL and the junior A tier that is below the BCHL. So I think that, that that's sort of the way that when it came to leaving the CJHL, when it comes to leaving hockey Canada, it's like, you know what, we can establish this tier. And that's the thing that's so unprecedented about all of this is that it it hasn't been a league with this type of high profile making a move like this, at, l- at least as far as I know, ever. Now, some of the fallout and what I'm interested in moving forward is what rosters are going to look like. I know there's a five-player minimum right now in the BCHL for homegrown players. you got to have at least five kids from BC on your roster. Uh, and I think, uh, having read your uh, two interviews uh, with the uh, reps from the league, uh, which were really great, by the way. Check those out at uh, BCHL Network. That's not changing, but the uh, the whole affiliate player thing is going to be probably pretty contentious because guys after September 30th, I, I don't think they can go back and forth from Rebel Leagues, if you will, and uh, leagues under the Hockey Canada umbrella. So they're not going to have affiliate players available, so they're going to expand rosters, plus they're, bringing, they're, they're uh, allowing uh, import players out of the, from outside of North America, right? A couple of each? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so I, I know that a lot more clarity will come um, once the BCHL has its annual general meeting, which is uh, scheduled for later on in May. And so we'll get some more clarity about that for sure. But there has been a lot of talk, and I've had people DMing me and stuff like that about the the fact that this is going to hurt BC-based players. And the BCA-based player rule is one that the BCHL already had in place. So really, it could have dropped that if it wanted to, but it's not. And so as a result, there still will be that. And then the other thing is, is that those BC-based players now will be determined based on their passport and and not based on residence. And so when you get some of those players that moved from outside of British Columbia to play in the BCHL, and now that's, quote, a BC player, well, now the BC players will actually have to be those players with a, a BC birthplace on their passport. And so that's something that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Um, the affiliate player movement is something that I'm really interested to watch because ultimately that ball is in is in BC Hockey and Hockey Canada's court um, because that's a that's a BC Hockey and Hockey Canada regulation that says if you're signed to an independent or league or you play in an independent league or participate in an independent league's activity after September 30th, um, if for whatever reason you leave that independent league, um, you can't play or participate, and I say participate because I'm talking officials too, mm-hmm. um, in, uh, in a Hockey Canada-sanctioned league. And so that restricts movement potentially between Junior A and Junior B, um, and that restricts movement potentially between U18, AAA, and Junior A. Um, but that what's to say that maybe an agreement isn't struck between these teams? Or I mean, there are independent leagues junior hockey leagues in British Columbia and in Alberta. In fact, one of them spans both, both provinces. Um, there's the HSL and there's the JPHL. 
there's a chance that the BCHL ends up taking affiliate players from those leagues because it, you know, a player could move freely between the two. Uh, I know, I know there's going to be appetite to see BCHL versus USHL and maybe throw the NAHL in there as well. Although I think everybody would agree that's a step below the USHL. Do you see any uh, opportunities for uh, interleague play between the BCHL and the USHL, even if it's just uh, a friendly uh, champion versus champion at the end of the year or something like that? Oh, I think absolutely. Uh, I, I think that uh, if if there's an appetite from from the USHL, because it sounds like there's one from the BCHL, um, if there's an appetite for that, I think the fan and media interest would be incredibly high. Um, I mean, when you look at the the amount of, of NHL draft picks that come from the USHL, which really, when you think about it, is a regional league. Like, it's it's the USHL doesn't span across the entire, you know, country of the United States is it's a relatively small area all things considered yeah. when you look at a league like say the WHL or whatever right so um I I'm fascinated I would love to see something like that and so I think if the USHL is game um it, it may be more than just a friendly it may be some sort of North American championship or or something like that and, and in that case it would have to be a series obviously uh, and then there would be some some costs associated with that, but I can't imagine those costs would be any different than when there was the Western Canada Cup or when there was the Doyle Cup or or any of those types of tournaments that went outside of BC anyway. So I I think that would be awesome, and I think as long as there's an appetite, then there's a potential for it to happen. Well, who wouldn't want to see Penticton play the Chicago Steel or something like that right now? I mean, those two teams have been uh, dominating their uh, respective leagues the last little while. I know Fargo's uh, ahead of. Uh, Chicago this year, but still pretty close. Anyway, that's going to be down the line. What's next in this situation uh, for the BCHL, and what are the biggest uh, hurdles or obstacles that are still in the way there that they have to clear? Well, I think one of the biggest obstacles is is misinformation. To be honest, um, the the league put out a, an outstanding FAQ on its website uh, that answers a lot of questions, but it doesn't answer all the questions. And so I think that, um, and and one thing that that Chris had mentioned to me, the, the CEO was, was that, you know, teams would have information sent to them and the coaches would pass it on to their players who were eligible to return or maybe their new recruits. But that doesn't necessarily do something for a player that's just coming to a, a spring camp to try out, or maybe gets an invite to training camp. And so I think that those are the players that are going to have those types of questions, or maybe even players that are playing outside of British Columbia because really now, come June 1st, when the, the new season quote-unquote opens for signing players, um, every junior player across Canada now is essentially a free agent for the BC Hockey League. And so that amount of recruiting that could, ha- could happen, might it, it's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen before. And so those are some of the questions that need to be answered in terms of 20-year-old players, import players. Um, and by that, I mean American players. And then also those non-Canada U.S. players. Um, we know they're allowed to have two of those. Um, and that's, again, based on passport. Is every team going to take advantage of that? Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I think the roster, the roster regulations and the roster decisions will be something really keenly to keep an eye on coming out of the AGM in, in a few weeks. And, and then the other thing, too, is what's going to happen with those officials. So like I mentioned, Hockey Canada has that, that rule that if you participate, you may not be able to participate in a sanctioned Hockey Canada. So right. how do officials approach that? And we know across the country there's already a shortage of, of referees and lines people. And so 
you know, this is another option where a pool of, of officials have to be drawn from. I mean, that's going to be a challenge. Um, and then insurance. I mean, the one thing that any parent, if they're sending their, their, uh, their child to go play somewhere, um, regardless of whether it's away from home or not, you want to know that they're in a safe and, and healthy environment, um, and they're protected and all that kind of stuff. And so I think those are the types of things that are the next steps for the league is to, to put parents' minds at ease and, and that kind of thing. Because I think the college scouts and, and pro teams, like they'll still look at BCHL players for recruiting to, to NCAA schools. They'll still look at BCHL players to, you know, like does this hurt Bradley Nadeau's draft stock coming up in June? Not at all. Like not in the slightest. So I don't, I don't think that that will change in terms of NHL opinions at all. Um, so I think it's, it's the more grassroots stuff that, that the BCHL really needs to be prepared to answer questions about. Lots to digest, lots of information. Uh, Brian, terrific job. And uh, again, for the listeners who haven't had a chance yet, go to bchlnetwork.ca. Check out the uh, Q&As with uh, Chris Hebb. He's the chief executive officer of the BCHL, uh, as well as uh, Stephen Cocker, who's the commissioner of the BCHL. Great Q&As that you did with both of those gentlemen. Uh, and we'll see where this goes from here. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I save your number because uh, I enjoyed the conversation a lot. You got it, Guy, anytime. There's Brian Weeb from the BCHL Network. And, uh, man, that is, uh, that's some landscape-changing activity there out of the BCHL. One of the things I didn't ask him about was potential spinoff effects for other CJHL leagues, or I guess their former partners under the CJHL banner. But what's to say, you know, if this is successful... A year from now, we don't see Brooks and Spruce Grove and, I don't know, Okotoks and, uh, who knows, Black Falls leaving the AJHL for an independent, maybe they joined the BCHL. I mean, there was kind of rumors and talk about something similar to that three, four, five years ago, maybe even longer than that. Maybe it's been talked about for a decade or more. This could just be the, the, uh, the tip of the iceberg of changes in the CJHL and junior A hockey in Canada. Definitely a story worth following, so we will do that here on the Pipeline Show. And uh, Brian uh, will be our—he'll be the guy on point for us. As I, I've tried to get uh, both the gentlemen that he's had conversations with, well, Chris Hebb, I, I tried to get on the show two or three times over the last few years. I'm not sure why, but they never wanted to come on the show and actually just talk about it. I just—it wasn't that I was going to have them on the show to uh, debate or criticize. I just wanted a clarification. Why? They were making the decisions they were making. But I, I am wondering what the spinoff effect uh, will be uh, for the other leagues in Canada. Let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. Still to come on this week's episode, we're going to speak with Joel Henderson from Puck Preps, which is hard to say five times. Try that. You end up saying Puck Preps. Uh, he's going to talk to us about the upcoming uh, WHL draft and uh, some of the players that we need to know guys for the first round, maybe some of his personal favorites. We're also going to hear from uh, Scott Ratzleff, netminder of the Seattle Thunderbirds. He's going to be in the 2023 draft spotlight. And speaking of uh, the AJHL, Ethan Barwick is scheduled to join me. Plays for the Brooks Bandits, who was just named the AJHL playoff MVP as the Bandits uh, capture another league title. Ethan Barwick is their goaltender. He is going to be joining Lindenwood, the Lions, next season in the NCAA. Uh, but they've got the Centennial Cup on the immediate horizon. We'll talk to Ethan Barwick coming up on this week's show as well. So lots still to get to, and we'll continue the show next. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Beef Jerky. 
This is Rio Lorenz from the Okotok Spoilers. Second unit on. Divine centering tip score! Rieger Lorenz, first collegiate goal, 1 nothing Denver. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie. Score. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious me. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Look, guy, we have to stay strong. If you don't stand with your fellow Canadians, then you are a rat. Don't call me a rat, buddy. I'm not your buddy, friend. He's not your friend, guy. I'm not your guy, buddy. He's not your buddy, friend. I'm not your friend, guy. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The uh, program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can get it three Edmonton and area locations, Leduc, Spruce Grove, or the kiosk in West Edmonton Mall. But if you're in Western Canada, you can go to wilhockbeefjerky.com and they will ship it to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. All right, my guest in this segment, uh, it's also a, an NCAA College Campus Report segment, as my next guest is going to the uh, NCAA next year. We'll get to all of that, but uh, College Hockey Inc. is a great resource if you have any questions about what you need to or are not allowed to do. Uh, to maintain your NCAA eligibility, go to collegehockeyinc.com. My guest is uh, the recently named MVP of the AJHL playoffs. That's uh, Ethan Barwick of the Brooks Bandits. Uh, Ethan, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate that you're available right now, and I guess it's because uh, you're, the AJHL playoffs are wrapped up so early for you. You don't actually have to leave uh, for uh, almost another week here before you, the uh, Centennial Cup. So having a little bit of a break, from the uh, AJHL playoffs before the next step, the national tournament, uh, that's got to be nice. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, we had the same break last year, so just being able for the team just to recoup after the hard playoffs, it's uh, huge for us. Well, tell me about the playoffs, and uh, it always it seems to be you and Spruce Grove coming down to it at the end. And I know uh, for the listeners, you're a St. Albert guy, so you're a little closer to the Edmonton area. Is it a nice little rivalry between Brooks and, and, uh, and Spruce Grove? Oh, it's it's my favorite, honestly, uh, especially only being able to play them two to three times a year, being able to see them quite often in the playoffs. It uh, brings out the best in both teams and always get great crowds, so it's always fun games. Now, it, uh, it was only a five-game series, but it was it's on paper, it looks like it was over quickly, but those were some pretty tight games. That was a great series. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun to play, and we don't always get to play series like that regular season or in the playoffs so being able to have a nice tight series that always keeps you on your toes is awesome what do you think the difference was uh for for your team to be able to come out ahead in that series i mean the the uh, spruce grove saints they're they're a really good team as well and you got to give them some credit but your team was better you you won the championship but once again what do you think the, the difference was between the two teams um i think we just really bought into our systems a lot more we, uh, our coaches, they do a great job all the time with our pre-scouts before uh, the series and even games, just giving us 
details on how the other teams play and what their systems are. They do a credible amount of uh, time into that. So it uh, helps us out be successful very well. All right. So now the next stage is the, the uh, national tournament, uh, the Centennial Cup being played in Manitoba. When do you guys actually uh, leave town? I will leave uh, Tuesday at 7 a.m. All right. So between now and then, what are you guys doing? I can't imagine you just, uh, it's not feet up by the next to the pool or anything. You're still practicing. You got other things going on. No, we uh, got right back to practicing on Monday and uh, we'll practice throughout the week. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, we will have our futures camp here in Brooks. So what's your role in a situation like that with a futures camp? Because, I mean, you're not coming back next year. You're not around. So is it almost like you're uh, you're playing a mentor role for some of the young guys who'd be coming in? Uh, yeah, sort of. So uh, we split off into groups. There will be a group of us refing and a group of us coaching. So I'll be, uh, I'll be coaching one of the teams with one of my fellow 20-year-olds. And really, we just have to show them how things are done in Brooks, how coaching is. Like We kind of give them plays in the games and stuff like that. and Just show them what a winning atmosphere we have here and what it's like to be a Brooks Bandit. Well, that's interesting. That's a great segue because I want to talk about the, the, uh, the culture and the program there in Brooks because, as we talked about, perennial powerhouse. I mean, the, the Bandits are... If they're not the first place team, they're the second place team in the league. It's uh, and it's been that way for a decade or more now. What's the key to success there? I've I've had a number of Bandits players on over the years on this show and have asked that same question, and I'm not sure that anybody can really put their finger on it. But it's just a, a track record of success year after year. Can you tell me why? Uh, honestly, I think it all comes down to our coach Ryan Papuano. You know, he does a great job making great relations with. Uh, a lot of uh, prep schools down in the States and even just your, well, now U18 teams. So, like, just his way of scouting and getting the best guys he can all the time and always bringing that winning culture back into Brooks with the amount of guys we lose every year, it uh, it really changes it for every year. And you're kind of an anomaly, uh, to be quite honest. You've been there four years, and that's unusual. You talked about the turnover uh, for players. That's not exclusive to the to the Bandits. That's an AJHL thing. Guys are there for maybe two years, and then they're off. Guys going to other leagues or to the NCAA. Uh, four years for yourself, plus you're one of only five Albertans on the team uh, this season, so you're a little bit of an outlier there as well. How did you get connected with the Bandits? Uh, well, back in U16, I was lucky enough to come down here with my team to play against the Med Hat team in a regular season game, and after the game, we uh, a bunch of us on my team we got emails from Brooks inviting us out to camp in the spring and I uh, came out did my best and they they liked what they saw so they invited me out for another two camps in the summer and then back to main camp that fall and they said yeah like we don't see you on our team this year just because with us hosting and everything but we can definitely see you on our team down the road and we'd like to have you as our AP this year so I was up and down with them quite a bit throughout the season and then once my season was over I ended it off with them for the last three and a half four months. Wow so was that your rookie year? Not technically because I wasn't in any games but I like to say that I was there for a good half season with just the amount of times I was brought up and I got to experience a lot of good things with a lot of great players so I 
I'm very thankful for them giving me the opportunity to come down. Okay, so that was the year after your season uh, in the MLA with the uh, Maple Leaf Athletic Club? The year after that? No, no, uh, after that season ended. So the 18-19 season, we were done in the U18 league at about middle of February. Right, right. And then it was the next weekend I was heading down. And then you had the, everybody had to deal with COVID for the next couple of years after that. And, uh, you didn't get to play a ton. I know you'd played 10 games one year, 11 games the next year. Uh, and as a goaltender, that's got to be frustrating. I'm sure it was frustrating for everybody. A uh, little bit of lack of development there. It hasn't hampered you in the long run, but how tough was that to deal with at the time? Uh, well, the first year I was coming in, I knew with their goalie coming back, Pierce Charleston being the starter last year that I wasn't going to play much, mm-hmm. especially being 17. So I was just thankful to be able to come on the ice every day and learn as much as I can, always trying to be in the net as much as I can. And I think that helped me a lot throughout that year, building enough confidence in my game. Well, you've played a ton the last couple of seasons. Last year, 39 games. This year, 51 games. Uh, both years, only losing four times in regulation uh, all season long. Uh, your stats, though, very different from this year to last year. Uh, a 188 goals against and a 929 save percentage. Fantastic uh, regular season for you, and it carried over into the playoffs. What was the secret to your own personal success this year? Why was this year different than last year, and last year was a good year? Honestly, it's hard to say. We ha- we've had both two great teams, but looking at them, being able to play on both of them, Uh, They were very different. We were a lot more offensive last year than we are this year. Like, still same goals offensively, but our defensive game here is a lot different this year. So I think that helped me out a lot, just eliminating those breakaway chances and those odd man rushes. Our team really bought into that a lot more. So how would you describe your development over the course of the last four seasons? Since the first year... The first time you put on a Bandits jersey to now, how are you a different goaltender? I think it'd be easier to say, say where I'm the same. My game has completely changed. I was, uh, I used to be really, really active and um, kind of low in my stance, and now I've completely changed my stance. Like my feet are a lot close, closer, allowing me to have stronger pushes across the crease and just get to my position and just. Hold it knowing that I trust my angles and my positioning to make the save. And where did that come from? Uh, a goaltending coach or did you just kind of figure that out yourself? No, I've, I've got a great group of goaltending coaches throughout the summers and even here down in Brooks. They, uh, they all think very much alike, so it's great being able to bounce ideas off of all of them and get all the opinions that I can. So when you have to change a, a, a style, a playing style like that, is that an easy transition for you to make or does that take time? Uh, it takes a little bit of time just to uh, mentally understand it as well as I can in certain scenarios. Hmm. But like I said, like getting it, all the viewpoints from those coaches, it uh, helps me with the transition a lot. Uh, all right. Well, uh, next season after the uh, the Centennial Cup, and uh, you're going back there again. You were in the Centennial Cup last year. Next season, it's off to the NCAA, and you're going to Lindenwood, which uh, – a lot of people listening to this might not have ever heard of Lindenwood. Well, they just turned Division One at the start of uh, this past season uh, and had a pretty impressive year for a brand-new program like that. Why uh, Lindenwood the, being the right fit for you as a, as a player and, and for academic reasons, too, I'm guessing? Um, well, I mean, like you said, both academic and athletic are 
huge parts of the uh, commitment, especially going to NCAA. So they, uh, they had the degree that I wanted to pursue while also looking at it. I, ha- I would have the best opportunity going in there to play as many games as I can to succeed at that level. Because like my coach here told me, Ryan, he said, it's about getting to the level and it's playing as much as you can, not about where you're going to play. So I think that was a huge, a huge thing in my head, realizing that they're giving me a huge opportunity there and it would have been dumb to pass it down. Well, it's interesting. And I know maybe some interest in the fact that it's a new program and kind of getting in close to the ground floor. I know they got one season under their belt, but being a part of a, a new franchise or a new program like that, is there some appeal in that regard? Yeah. Uh, like they, like I, when I talk to them, they, uh, they want to build a huge legacy. They want to be known as one of the best. So they said like they want me to be a part of that for the first few years. So I, I was thinking about it a lot and it was, it was a very easy decision to make when they gave me an opportunity like that to have something sort of be built around with me. I thought, uh, it'd be a great opportunity to show everyone what I can do. Uh, well, I've had head coach Rick Zombo on the uh, the program already uh, last summer, uh, getting ready for this year. Uh, a few Canadians there, and a couple, uh, uh, maybe a couple of players uh, from Alberta. Do you happen to know anybody that's uh, with the program now, or that will be joining you there next year? Uh yeah, uh, one of the players forwards, Drew Kuzma. I actually right. grew, grew up playing with him, so that that'll be nice going into a new place with a familiar face. What are your expectations for, you know, getting uh, starts? Do you think it'll be much like it was in Brooks where you're going to have to be a little bit patient or do you expect to be playing a lot uh, immediately? I'm I'm not too sure, honestly. They did say that they want to see me playing as many games as I can. So I'll just have to go there earlier in the summer and work my work, work hard so I can get those starts early and then just keep going because with the college season just being so much shorter, than, say, AJHL or even WHL, just playing as many games as you can is huge. Speaking of the WHL, uh, I, I think a lot of kids who grew up playing hockey in Western Canada, sort of that's the natural gravitation would be to play in the WHL. Have you always known college was the right choice for you, or was it more of a, at least statistically speaking, do you consider yourself a bit of a late bloomer and that maybe the college opportunity came for you uh, later on and and didn't have the whl opportunity i'm not sure what, what was the the thought process for you or opportunity wise growing up well like you said everyone in western canada really has their eyes set on a dub from a young age especially with the draft being so young mm-hmm. it's uh especially also with colleges not even being able to reach out to kids until january 1st of their grade 10 year it's uh they really jam it into you that like oh this is like your only path to go pro but after coming down to brooks and realizing that they have at least 10 to 15 commitments a year yeah i was like man like there is especially as a goalie there's a huge opportunity here to do something and like my dad's always said like goalies normally they take longer to develop so playing those extra years playing till i'm 20 like i have it's just uh i think it's been very very great for my uh, development, and I think it's just going up from here. All right, before I let you go, I mentioned that there's only five Albertans on the uh, the Bandits team. That means you got a lot of players coming in from outside, well, outside the province and across the country, and some guys, uh, I think there's half a dozen 
uh, players maybe from the United States. We got a couple uh, guys from Ukraine. It's uh, very much a, 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 a team that's uh, put together from all over the place. How long does it take you guys to, to come together as a group like that, or does it happen pretty quickly? Uh, it actually happens pretty quickly. You know, like I said earlier, a bunch of guys coming here. We all come here with the same goal of winning the league and then also winning the national championship. So it's it's a lot easier for us knowing what we've done in the past and having guys that have done it to come together quickly and be able to represent the Bandits as well as other teams have done it in the past. Well, a great fan base, uh, lots of support locally. Uh, the only problem with Brooks is the the smell. Uh, when the uh, the wind is blowing the wrong direction, that's a that's an experience in Brooks, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's a little bit of a shock once you get here, but you get used to it after a while, and you come to not enjoy it, but realize that <laughs> you're in a place where people love to watch hockey, especially us, with the closest team being Medicine Hat, otherwise, which is an hour away. Yeah, knowing that we're always going to get great support in our games, it's it's huge for this organization, and I uh, love every minute of it. All right, except for the smell. Ethan, uh, I really appreciate your time, man. Uh, best of luck next week at the Centennial Cup, and uh, maybe we'll chat again once you're uh, joined up with the uh, Lindenwood Lions. Awesome. Thank you. Ethan Barwick of the Brooks Bandits, the netminder, named the uh, playoff MVP in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, going to Lindenwood next season in the NCAA. But first, the Centennial Cup, the nine league champions uh, across the CJHL in Canada as well as the host team, uh, that's uh, Portage, Manitoba. And that tournament gets going next week on uh, the 9th, I believe it is, or the 10th. Uh, we won't be previewing the tournament, but we'll have a recap of it. I already know Lucas Puncari uh, from the Brandon Sun is going to be my guest. That'll be in a couple of weeks, uh, so looking forward to that. All right, next up on the program, we're going to turn on the 2023 draft spotlight, get to know another player that's draft eligible, happens to be another goaltender, this time it's Scott Ratzliff, uh, one of the top-ranked goalies uh, for the class of 2023. He's a member of the Seattle Thunderbirds, who are in the thick of it in the WHL's Western Conference Final as uh, the T-Birds take on the Kamloops Blazers. That is next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Behind the goal line, looking in front for Kolasar. Bring it to the slot, to the legs, Barzell. Watson, back hill set, and... He will score! Hi, this is Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds, and you are listening to the Pipeline Show. Well, we from Atchison loves Wilhawk beef jerky. I'll never forget it. Heading to the lake. Three screaming kids in the back. Let's get ice cream, we said. Sour, soupy sundaes all over the van. But then I found Wilhawk beef jerky. Tender, seasoned pieces of meat smoked to perfection. Perfect for keeping little mouths busy. And best of all, no sloppy surprises. And I always make sure to bring a little extra to eat around the campfire. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. You know, I hear the camera adds 10 pounds. Looks like you've eaten five cameras. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, and you can get it 
throughout Western Canada by going to wilhawkbeefjerky.com. We're going to turn on the 2023 draft spotlight and get to know another player uh, that is uh, eligible for the upcoming NHL draft, which is getting closer and closer. It'll be here before we know it. Uh, we've had a lot of goaltenders on the uh, the program over the last uh, month or two, and uh, another one this week as uh, Scott Ratzleff uh, from the Seattle Thunderbirds making time uh, in a busy schedule right now to come on the Pipeline Show. Uh, Scott, welcome to the program, and uh, it's great to talk to you. How are things? Yeah, they're good. Thanks for having me on the show. Good, nice weather out, so I'm always happy about that. Well, I appreciate you being available, and I know it's it's really busy right now because we're right in the middle of the playoffs. For the listeners' benefit, the show will come out for most people on Friday. As we're chatting right now, it's Wednesday, so it's between Game 3 and Game 4 uh, of the uh, series with the Kamloops Blazers. Uh, it just uh, The team dropped one last night, uh, but getting set for a Game 4. We know it's going Game 5, so you're going back to Seattle uh, at least uh, a fifth game. Uh, it's a pretty exciting time so, uh, to be around this uh, for, for all the players. I know you're not playing all that much right now. We'll touch on that. But uh, just to be in the atmosphere, you're still part of the team. Uh, it's got to be awfully exciting. Yeah, it's been awesome. I think you can just look at the caliber between the both teams. They both have high uh, draft picks, and it's just it's great hockey to watch for sure. Uh, all right. Let's, can I just touch on uh, the fact that, uh, I mean, you, this is a platoon situation all season long in Seattle. Getting to the playoffs, now you haven't played at all. Uh, on one hand, I'm sure that's got to be tough uh, because you want to play as much as possible. You're a competitive guy, but it's Thomas Melchin net right now. How do you how, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think it, I think it's just like a learning experience. Thomas Melchin, he's one guy that you can really uh, look up to, and he's a great role model. He's really he's a good guy, knows how to handle himself, and just like touching on the topic of these elite players, you get them in practice every single day. So just making the most of the opportunity you get to be with these guys like Dylan Gunther and Brad Lambert, it's just just the time to make the most of it. And you got to stay on top of your game. I mean, just because you're not starting right now, you could go in, you could get asked to go in at any moment, and you certainly don't want to wish injury on anybody, but you got to be prepared for, for the worst. How do you stay sharp and game sharp when you haven't played now for – probably a month yeah just similar to the practice like you got these good shooters and it's just making sure that you stick to your habits and go with what works try new things and like you said always stay ready always just you know be focused do your routine like your plan so just always stay ready tell me about this past season for yourself scott this is a heck of a year for the t-birds once again uh and for yourself personally uh, I mean, you had 34 starts this year, or at least appeared in 34 games. Uh, really strong numbers. How did you feel about the way you played? Yeah, I think it was uh, it was good. We had a, had a good team in front of me, and you know, I had that last year to kind of get dip my toes in the water. So this was kind of a year that I could take what I learned from last year and put into this year. And I obviously got more games, like you said, I got about 34. So it was nice and. That month of December when Thomas Millick and those guys went to the World Juniors, I got to handle a little bit more of the load. So yeah. I think it was just all around. It was a great season, and I got to, you know, experience, like, what it was like to, you know, take that back-to-back Portland Everett game Saturday, Sunday. So learned a lot for sure. How have you evolved here uh, in your time in the WHL with the T-Birds since you first put on a T-Birds jersey to the, now? Uh, how have you changed as a goaltender? Yeah, I think it's just – it's getting the experience and learning the game. I think a lot about goaltending is just seeing tendencies and reading plays that have happened, whether that's a team has a tendency on the power play or things like that. It's just learning the experience and learning to be patient because this 
this game is fast and you don't want to chase it too much. So just learning to, you know, handle the speed and handle the plays. Scott Ratzliff is uh, my guest. He's a goaltender with the Seattle Thunderbirds out of the Western Hockey League, draft eligible this year. And this is the part of the show, Scott, where uh, we kind of spotlight a, a player who's draft eligible. And uh, there'll be a lot of casual NHL fans who don't pay any attention to junior hockey that will be listening to a segment like this. My regular audience, this is a junior and college hockey show, so my regular audience will know all about you already. we got a lot of T-Bird fans uh, who follow the show and listen. Uh, but for those casual NHL fans who know nothing about you, uh, let's get some background. Uh, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yeah, definitely. I'm from Irma, Alberta, a small town. It's got about 500 people in it, so hopefully some people know where that is. Irma, Alberta, uh, 500 people, 400 of them are uh, uh, elite hockey players and uh, really good uh, baseball players as well. In the off season, are you a ball player? Yeah, definitely before hockey went full year round, you enjoyed baseball and uh softball as well so it's just all around sports i i kind of joke about how many hockey players there are but quite honestly per capita irma is amazing uh i've been doing this show a long time so i've had carson susia on the show and parker mckay and jagger Fergus is also from irma there's a lot of guys that come from that neck of the woods what is it about irma that produces hockey players i think it's just something in the water honestly putting a couple of minerals in there but yeah i think <laughs> it's just how well knit the community is and how each and every one of them is just devoted to, you know, keeping the community clean and putting in work, whether that's, you know, during the workouts or during skates and things like that. You have all these guys that live just down the street from you, so you can always go and hang out, play ball, play floor hockey, who knows what. So it's just that devotion to the game has always been there in Irma. When did uh, becoming a goaltender uh, fit for you? When did you have an interest in, in putting on the pads? Yeah, I think it started very young. I mean, my uncle is a goalie my grandpa on my dad's side is a goalie and my cousin Tyson is a goalie so it's just it's kind of always ran the family and just from the very beginning I always kind of wanted to be that that goalie that played the full 60 minutes I never liked sitting on the bench so it's just just playing that full 60 and being that big factor some guys tell me it's being an individual but still on a part of a team but you stand out you're like the pitcher or the quarterback uh, it's a team game, but you're an individual within that team. Uh, some guys tell me it's the equipment, just having the mask and, and getting to wear the glove and the, putting the pads on. Any of that uh, ring true for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like you talk about the gear, it's different. and it, It's so customizable now, like down to individual specs. So I think, you know, getting a custom paint job on your mask or custom design on your pads is something that it's quite cool. You can add your own little flair to your gear and make it sentimental to you. How do you make your mask personalized? Uh, I definitely have some things on there. But on the back of my uh, mask, it says HSF, which means have some fun. And that just means to enjoy the game for what it is. Don't get too worked up. You know, there's always going to be a next shot. So just taking it one one minute, one shot, one save at a time. Uh, what number do you wear, actually? I don't have that in front of me. 33. Any particular reason? Does that number mean anything significantly for you? Yeah, so... My entire family has always worn double digits. Okay. So my dad was 55. My sister Hannah was 44 and 22, and that was the same with my mom. So just having that double digit was just something that has always stuck with the family. Well, and uh, being a goaltender, 33 is pretty much the go-to then for a double digit, wouldn't it be? Yeah, there's not really any other number that you could choose, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, all right. Take me back to the Bantam draft and what that day was like for you. Cause I know I've had a lot of guys on the show who 
some guys were at school when it uh, went down and were trying to follow along with it. Other guys were uh, at home. Um, for yourself, I mean, it was the COVID year, so I'm not sure where th- where things were at for you. What was draft day like? Yeah, so it, that was during COVID season, and we were all kind of stuck at home. But I remember, you know, going on the draft day, and I remember getting on the Xbox with a group of my friends, and we were just hanging out, watching the draft go by. And I remember my dad coming down in the basement just to talk to me about it. And then all of a sudden, I was picked 43rd by the Thunderbirds there, and then just it's just a surreal experience. I could hear all my friends screaming in the background as I'm trying to talk to my dad. So it was just, it was an awesome experience and it was nice to have my dad right there as I got picked. Uh, well, there's 22 teams in the league. Chances are pretty good that you're going to be moving a, 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 a pretty good distance away from home. Uh, unless it's like Red Deer, I guess, Edmonton that, that selected you. Uh, what were your thoughts when, when it was Seattle and you knew that you'd not only be leaving Alberta, but you'd be leaving the country? Uh, Probably my first thought was how my mom was going to take it. <laughs> yep. She's one that just wants all the kids home. And, you know, it's kind of unfortunate that I'd have to move far away. But, I mean, Seattle's a great place. It's a great organization. I was happy to go there. I think, like, I knew some guys previously, like Popovich and Schaefer, just because they're Edmonton kids. And just nice to know some some of my friends have gone there as well. So just awesome to go there and see all the places like the space needle so how has uh, mom handled it uh she's gotten better i think it's <laughs> it's been a lot of uh phone calling and facetiming but technology is good nowadays that you can just reach out anytime you want so she's handled it much better now now we haven't had the opportunity to watch uh, the uh, the american teams come through the central division so you're looking forward to that next year when you actually get to play uh closer to home yeah definitely like i remember my dad's side is from Saskatchewan, so when we made that swing through Saskatoon and right. things like that, I had my grandparents watch, and it was just it was an honor to play in front of them. And like I said, my grandpa's a goalie, so it was awesome to play in front of him. And like Edmonton's not too far away from Irma, so I know hopefully I'll have a little bit of the the Irma fan club come down when we play Edmonton. Uh, I have a feeling they'll travel pretty well. The uh, the Ermanites is that what we call people from Irma? Ermanites? Yeah, I think so. I think you got it right. Ermanites, ermines, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Leave that to you to tell me that, to educate me on that. Um, let's talk about the NHL draft. Uh, I wonder how much it's it's uh, something that you spend much time thinking about. A lot of players will tell me they don't want to think about the NHL draft. They don't want it to be a distraction. But there are lots of players now who tell me that they want to know who's got them ranked where, and they use that as motivation. Uh, what about for you, Scott? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of different ways to take it, I think. The, like I talked about taking it a day at a time, I think that takes care of the end of the year goal of getting drafted. So like I talked about that month of December where I got more of the starts. I just wanted to perform there, handling more of the weight and even the top prospects game. I knew that was something I had circled on my calendar and I just wanted to perform there. And I think that's just like I mentioned earlier, just taking it one day at a time and you know, focusing on the games that you have in front of you, I think that takes care of the end result of being drafted. So, uh, I wonder what your thoughts are on uh, the, the the whole height thing for goaltenders. You're six foot one. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's the last thing I've seen listed uh, for six one. Uh, is, is that where you're still at? Yes, I'm six one. Okay, so I know there are some NHL teams who won't look at a goalie who's say under six three. Uh, to me, that seems kind of crazy. That if uh, a guy can stop the puck, I don't care how tall he is, so he can stop the puck. And we're seeing some smaller goaltenders who are having success. Devin Levi, uh, Dustin Wolf, guys like that. 
how do you feel about the size thing? Is it overrated in your mind? Uh, you know, I try not to have too big of an opinion on that, but I think it's just, like you mentioned, it's just about stopping the puck and, you know, knowing that I'm going to be 6'1", that may not grow anymore. I can focus on feeling as much net as possible as I can being 6'1". Maybe that's focusing more on my skating so I can get places on my feet and present bigger to the shooter. So, you know, whatever the height thing, it is what it is. And, you know, if I'm 6'1", for the rest of my life, that's okay because then I'll know how to manage, like I said, fill that 4x6 the best I can and just go from there. These days, every goaltender is a butterfly goaltender to some degree, uh, but there's got to be slight differences in the way everybody plays. What's different about your game or maybe the way you approach the game? Maybe maybe it's a mental thing that you do differently, uh, but how, are, how do you think you're a little bit different than other goaltenders? Yeah, like I was mentioning on the previous question you asked about the height, it was just I try to focus on getting places everywhere on my feet. Okay. And I know big goalies, they sometimes choose a slide and it opens up holes up top. So I think being a smaller goalie, I have to get places on my feet and maybe get a little bit farther outside the crease. So that's one thing that I try and focus on and even being a little bit more patient in my game so I can stay on my feet longer and not fight to go down. So I think I just try and I would almost say like a hybrid goalie. I try to stay stand up as much as possible and only go down when I need to. Your uh, season this year started early. You got to play for uh, Canada at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. Uh, back in August, what was that experience like for you? That was awesome. I mean, I remember last year at the U17s, we just had uh, three Team Canada teams and then the women's national team, which was an honor to play with them. But this was the first time we got to play against teams in Europe, like Sweden and Finland. And it was really cool to see how you compared against the other goalies across the world and just see that high of caliber. You know, like you talk about, Let's say Leo Carlson, who's on Sweden, or Otto Stenberg, those guys that you've heard talk about them and how good they are, and it's it's cool to finally see them and play against them. And it was just it was an honor again to play for you know the Maple Leaf on the crest. So I think it was just overall an awesome experience. It's it's interesting to hear you talk about comparing yourself to other other players like that. Uh, do you do that with other goaltenders when you when you look at the rest of the draft class? Do you compare yourself to the other guys who are eligible this year? Yeah, definitely. You take a look at, uh, you know, the different goalies, like you said, like heights or how big they are and how they handle certain situations. You can always learn. And I think that's what goaltending is. It's always evolving and it's always a new way of stopping the puck. So I think the more you can watch goalies, whether that's, you know, your age or in the NHL, I think it's just you can always learn something from everybody. Well, are there goaltenders at the NHL level that you that you look at, maybe who might be similar size to you, and maybe that's what influences you? Or are you just a a fan of the position and well, like any goaltender, who who are the guys that you looked up to as a kid? Yeah, definitely. My first kind of goalie that I really liked was Mark Andre Fleury, and just it was less about his style, but more about just their, how he handled himself as a player. Right. I think he you could always see him having a smile on his face, and like I said about. On my mask, it's just always about having fun. He, he would always enjoy himself and, you know, love the game for what it was and not worry about any outside sources or opinions. And then now, like, currently I like to watch UC Soros and Alexander Gorgiev on the Avalanche, and they're they're kind of similar to my height, and I like to watch them as they, they've kind of mastered 
you know, kind of that box, that window in front of them, how to fill the net as much as they can and just see how they work on their edge work just to get places on their feet. And did you have a favorite team growing up or did it depend on uh, which goaltender they had? Uh, I've always liked the Boston Bruins, honestly. I think I remember in 2011 when Tim Thomas and all those guys won the cup. That was something that was just that has always stuck with me. And I've got a couple the Daniel Chara and Tim Thomas jerseys hanging in my room. So Outstanding. Well, Scott, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation a lot. Best of luck to you and the T-Birds the rest of the way here in the WHL playoffs and whatever happens at the draft. I hope we can chat again. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me. There's Scott Ratzla from the Seattle Thunderbirds. Uh, we had that conversation between games uh, three and four as I'm uh, d- chatting with you right now and editing this uh, conversation and this segment. It's uh, Thursday. Now, the show will come out for most people on Friday. Patrons will uh, have early access to it uh, here momentarily. Uh, But game four in that series between Kamloops and Seattle goes in a few hours uh, from right now. So by the time most people hear this, uh, game four will be in the books. So it will either be 3-1 Seattle, 2-2 tie, and headed back to Seattle for game five, uh, regardless. Uh, But that's been a uh, very good series to watch. Exciting hockey Unfortunately for Scott Ratzleff, uh, not able to uh, step on the ice here in the playoffs. Uh, But that is the plight of the backup goaltender. And for the most part, I mean, he hasn't been a backup this year. He's been 1B, but only one goaltender can play. And in the playoffs, you're probably going to go with the vet. And that right now is Thomas Millich. Or Millich. Is it Millich or Millich? I'm going to have to ask uh, Tom Boyning, voice of the Seattle Thunderbirds, uh, that for sure. All right, we've got one more segment to go. The uh, WHL draft goes next week the prince albert raiders have the number one number two and number seven picks Uh, and when it comes to the bantam draft uh, people always ask me about the players but i know nothing about the players who are in the bantam draft i don't get to know the guys until they're at the whl level so i need somebody to educate me and that is joel henderson he's the director of scouting of puck preps and he joins me next you're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Eric Comrie from the Tri-City Americans. Break away from center. Vascoff coming in on Comrie. He's stopped by Eric and the Golden Glove keeps it tied. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The Store Next Door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with, and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks. A lot. A whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. 
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Fights like an old lady. Yeah, we're back on The Pipeline Show. It's the final segment for this week's episode. We're going to look at the uh, WHL draft coming up uh, next week. And I always get asked about the draft, especially when it's uh, come and gone. All right, who did well? Who do, who got the best players? And I'll be honest, I have no knowledge of the uh, players before they get to the CHL level. I don't know the uh, the Bantam Age kids at all. So I needed to get somebody on the show who could educate me just as much as the listeners. And uh, for that, I'm going to rely on Joel Henderson. He is the he's the boss. He's the director of scouting for Puck Preps. He's uh, all you can also know him uh, possibly as uh, a poor nameless boy. Although Joel, I don't know if you still go <laughs> go by that moniker or not. Are you still playing uh, on stage? Uh, it was a pause because of the COVID stuff, but yeah, uh, we'll be recording here soon. Awesome. And uh, playing around uh, Southern Alberta and, and I guess internationally you've done too. Oh yeah, I've been uh, I've been in a lot of different countries playing, but not a, I kind of just paused the shows for a bit. There was a lot of people that asked and I just said, I don't really want to necessarily play until I've got some new material out there and, and feel it's, it's time. So put the music on pause, focused on exactly what we're going to talk about today and uh, they'll both find their place. All right. Well, it's a hockey show, not a music show. So uh, let's get to the <laughs> hockey. And uh, as I mentioned, it's the WHL draft next week. Uh, you've been doing this for a number of years now. Is this year different in any regard to outside the norm? Or is it, I mean, I guess it, there's always ebbs and flows, whether it's regionally or positionally. How is this year maybe different or similar to the the last few years? Uh, the one thing that I've kind of told everybody is that um, in the last, you know, that the people have asked that the last number of years, I think there was a clear number one at the WHL level. You know what I mean? Like a couple of years ago, there was Bedard. Sure. And even though, even though at the top end of things, you had, you know, guys like Braden Yeager and Riley Height at the top of the draft, Bedard was still number one, you know? And then, uh, and then you had Berkeley Catton, who was, you know, amongst people, he was pretty much the consensus number one. And then last year, you had Gavin McKenna, who you could absolutely say the same thing about. This year's draft is um, a lot of players in the same range, a high-end range, but there isn't a clear one. And so it's kind of like, I think if you gave 10 scouts um, a chance to pick a number one pick, you would see quite a few names get picked in that spot. So I think this year at the top end, people might say, oh, we didn't take him or this guy was ranked here. But the reality of it, which I try to want to communicate to guys, is just like they're just going to take the player that they want, that they fits in the slot. And uh there isn't any clear misses or clear gets. I think there's just, there's a group of maybe, you know, on the big end, maybe 15 of players that are just really good and, uh, and teams are going to try to get those guys. Well, one thing different about this year is you got one team picking one, two, and seven, uh, the Prince Albert Raiders. It's mm-hmm. going to be a huge day for the Raiders. Uh, you go back a couple of years ago and Winnipeg was in a similar situation with the number one and number two pick. Uh, they came away with Matthew Savoy and Connor Geeky. They went two forwards. I wonder what your expectations are for Prince Albert this year because they've gone forward heavy the last few drafts with their first round pick. Uh, now you've got a, a forward ranked number one at puck preps, but then a bunch of defensemen. I mean, if you're Prince Albert, you could go out, get the best forward, the best defenseman, and heck, even the best goaltender at seven if you wanted to and just to kind of load up at each position. What's your expectation for PA? Well, and, and that to be said, I think PA can really do whatever they want. They, they're kind of the captains of this draft. You know, they've got one, two, and seven. So they could trade down. They could trade whatever. Like, they can kind of figure out where everybody is at and then see how much, you know, see, do we just want to take the best two players? Do we want to trade down? Do we want to 
you know what I mean? They could do a lot of different things to try to get as many or, or the players in the spots that they think they could. That being said, like you said, I think, you know, they took uh, the last two drafts in the, in the, uh, in the first rounds, they took three forwards mm-hmm. and uh, some of the drafts as well. Like they had to, they traded it. They drafted a, a defenseman a couple of years ago. He, uh, you know, he, he, they ended up trading him away, you know, his rights away, signing Kelowna. So there's a, there's a few where it's just like, you know, organizational need is definitely defense. Uh, so three picks, I would, you know, they're not going to go three forwards that much. I know uh, I would expect uh, a defenseman, probably one really high. Um, you know, they might just get it out of the way at number one. And uh, and then just kind of go from there. They might go two forwards after that and address names later, but uh, it will see. All right. Well, uh, I know it's not the final list uh, for puck preps, uh, which would come out when? I, I'm assuming early next week? Yeah, really early next week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, something like that. Probably Tuesday. Okay. Well, the top guy right now is Mathis uh, Preston, who uh, played in uh, the CSSHL. And that seems to be the – is that the most dominant league for, for the Bantam draft now, what used to be called the Bantam draft? Uh, for the WHL draft, yeah. uh, is that primarily the the number one league that you have to scout? Absolutely, and you know, and it's no disrespect to any of the other leagues. It's just that's the league where you know it costs a little bit more to get them into a prep academy, to get them daily trained, to get them this kind of thing. A lot of kids kind of want to go there if they can. It's just a little bit more focused, you know. And so it's top teams against top teams. You know, every now and then you get some really top end teams. Like this year, there were some terrific teams out of the Alberta Elite League. And, uh, and, you know, and a, and a couple of really good teams out of Saskatchewan too. So it's, it, but, you know, the CSSHL is, is the top one. So, you know, if you look at the top of those leaderboards of those leagues, you're going to find some good players there. And I think Mathis is, is, uh, no exception. All right. Well, he's number three, uh, or number one on your list. He's number three in league scoring. He's number three on his team in scoring. Uh, the, uh, Winder, Winder mm-hmm. twins, uh, Liam and Marcus Ruck, one and two. <laughs> hey, do we see the, uh, the PA Raiders pull a, uh, uh, Brian Burke with the Vancouver Canucks and uh, go get the Twins with his, their first two picks. I mean, that would be a surprise, I suppose. But where do you see the the Ruck brothers falling in in this draft? Well, and that's the one of the dynamics that, like, there's always, you know, special things to drafts where guys are trying to get a certain kid or they're trying to, you know, move up and down or whatever. But, you know, this is a unique part about it. We saw it a couple years ago with um, with the Vaughn brothers in Regina where, you know, kind of the understanding was is if you if you take one, you got to take both. So, uh, so a team might have to trade into a spot, you know, they might have to try to see what they can do to try to get them potentially. Um, you know, in this draft, PA has three picks. Um, you have Vancouver that at picks at six and eight right now. And then Everett has 10 and I think 20, something like that. So there are some teams with some that, that could either want them or there are guys that, or teams that could maybe move a pick here and there hmm. and, or trade up and down or whatever the case may be. So I think those two guys, um, specifically, um, I think whoever wants them might have to trade into a spot to maybe get them. So those two are very special towards the draft. Um, they are, they're guys that thrive on puck movement. They're very, very, very smart. And so just when you think you've got one in your clutches, like a defenseman's closing on it, he's already found his brother who's streaking into space. And so they just play give and go all day. And, uh, and it's very fun to watch. It's, it's, uh, when we'll see how it works at the WHL level, but it's, it's about as unique as you can find. And so, uh, it's one of those things where if you're, you're a team and you get them, like buckle up for a very unique experience because they'll, they'll keep the puck away from you all day if they can. Yet you have Preston ranked ahead of both of those guys. So, uh, not to take anything away from the Ruck brothers, but what is it about Preston <laughs> that kind of elevates his stock in your opinion? Uh, Preston has, so Preston is the best goal scorer in the draft. He's uh, he has a shot where you know 
you know, you don't want to make any predictions or anything, but when people see it, you'll understand. Uh, he has a snap and a release that's probably, it, it's up there with the, the kinds of releases that's been there. You know, maybe these aren't my words, but I did hear someone say, and I think I maybe agree to some extent, you know, the top end shots in the last couple of years have been Bedard and then, you know, Braden Yeager. And it's up there. You know, he has that type of release. It's a lot, his shot is a lot more kind of like uh, Bedard. It's not near Bedard's, but it's in that range of things. Um, like it's maybe, it, maybe it looks similar to Bedard's, but it's as good as Braden Yeager's kind of thing. So that's what you're getting. You're getting a guy that can kind of curl on the, on the, on the power play. You're getting a guy that can shoot off the rush, that can shoot from distance. Um, there's some things that the Preston needs to work on, but as far as upside and as far as like what he's going to turn into down the road, there's, there's, there's an incredible player there. All right, and then you got a defenseman who's uh, number two on the puck preps list uh, with the most WHL of WHL names, uh, Daxon Rudolph. Uh, that's a great name. <laughs> Never heard the name Daxon yeah. before, but well, it's it's a it's a WHL name already. Um, now you got a few defensemen pretty high. Uh, what are the differences between uh, all of these guys in the, in terms of are they more is one more of a stay at home is one more of an offensive guy? Everybody's got to be a two way uh, player these days. What's what separates some of these guys at the top end when it comes to blue liners? Yeah, I think all three of them are um, all three of them are very like they're very offensive. They think the game offensively. Um, Daxon is one where like you really don't want to cough up the puck um, when he can anticipate jumping up a little bit closer in the zone because he's got a really accurate wrist shot. So he's one of those guys that can really make you pay that way. Um, Daxon's got a really long stride. He, he's one of those kids that isn't quite grown into uh, who he could be as well. So he's got a lot of potential growth there. So if you believe in your program, I, I think he's one where like you go, this is what we envision him to be. And there's a, there's a really big upside there too. Um, so Daxon, I think is somewhere along the lines of, you know, he, he's maybe five, 11, six feet right now, um, but he's still growing too. So I'm not quite sure where he'll get to. Uh, the other one there is, or one of the other ones is Keaton Verhoff. Keaton is already, like six foot three, 195 pounds in that range. Um, he's uh, he's a guy that came through the Alberta system uh, last year, played really high end in the AHL, uh, did very well, and then took his services to, to rink Kelowna and uh, was under the coaching of Jerome McGinley there. And so Keaton is a, he's a, he's, a, he's a big specimen and, uh, and he moves really well. Like he, he's a, he loves to jump in the rush. He'll push the play. He'll, he'll poke check. He's really smart. He's got really great hands um, you know, he's, he, his thing is he's got to work on a little bit more of the, the lateral mobility, those types of things. But like, you know, he's very, very smart. He moves the puck very smart. Uh, so I think, you know, if you're wanting a guy that just has established size and to work with Keaton, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're getting a really great player there. And then last but not least, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Lynn, Ryan Lynn was in a, a team that was, you know, not quite as strong team wise as other guys this year, but Ryan was, uh, you know, Ryan was quite easily the best player on his team. Um, he's explosive. He's explosive from a standstill. He's not, he doesn't have the length of the stride or the size as the other guys do. He's still kind of growing in. He's maybe 5'10, 150 right now. Um, but he's, he's powerful. He times his checks. Uh, he times his pokes. Everything you do, like when you watch him play, you just come away going, God, that's just so smart. It's so smart and it's so efficient. And so whenever you watch Ryan, you come away saying, like, like, I don't know how many mistakes he made today. And I, you know, there's, there's a, there's a huge value in the projection there too. Like he's, uh, I've often talked about Ryan as in like, if there's anyone that I want to maybe manage the puck, if I did to, you know, to take a team now, I think Ryan would be the guy I would put the, the, the puck in the hands of, but all three of them have just unique potential. 
Joel Henderson is the director of scouting for Puck Preps, which uh, is it's tricky for me to say. I end up sounding like Scooby Doo and saying Prep Preps all the time, but <laughs> just try not to say it five times quickly, and uh, we'll be all right. Uh, Puck Preps does a great job getting everybody ready for the upcoming WHL draft and uh, for other drafts as well. Uh, I, I have to think one of the challenges when it comes to the WHL draft, because you're drafting 14 and 15 year olds, is projecting size. Uh, and you mentioned uh, Keaton yeah. Veroff. He's he's already 6'3 and 190. That's ridiculous. But there are, as often as not, uh, guys who are 5'7, 5'8, and 145 pounds or something like that. And you have to figure out what they're going to be three, four years from now. And that's got to be a huge challenge. How do you do that? Well, and, and take that for example. I mean, when we started the year, I think uh, number one and two on our list was Daxon was at one uh, when we started. And, uh, and a player by the name of Noah Kosick uh, was at number two. And Noah Kosick, you know, if you go back, um, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he broke our Bedard scoring record in the, the CSSHL U15 when he was, you know, one year younger. Hmm. So when Bedard played in that league, he, you know, when, in Bedard's draft year, he jumped to U18, uh, much the same as Noah Kosick did this year. But the Kosick scored more than uh, than Bedard did, and so and Noah Kosick today, I think I think he was listed on the BC Camps website at five foot four, one hundred and ten pounds, and uh, and so <laughs> so and so like you said, it's about it's about projection, it's about wait times, it's about um, and even for the family too. I mean, for for the Kosick family, I mean, do you want to go WHL? Do you want to give yourself a little bit longer of a runway and go NCAA? Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of questions, you know, and you have to kind of consider all of those things. Um, the projection is a, you know, I talked to a scout or I talked to a a team coach uh, just the other day, and uh, and he kind of just laughed and he said, "It's amazing." He goes, "The first question I'm asked by every 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 scout is uh, how big is Dad." And it's just, you know, that's the thing is to try to get a, you're trying to understand a sense of where these kids could get to, you know, so somebody is, you know, there's kids that are six foot, six feet tall, 135 pounds, and there are kids that are five, nine, 180, you know, and it's just, it's trying to figure out um, the projection of it all, but you do the best you can. And at the end of the day, you know, focus on the skill sets and take a good player. And, and I think you'll, you'll be all right. Best example I can think of is Adam Lowry, who, when he was drafted by Swift Current, I think he was like 5'10" something like that there's mm-hmm. there's his headshot on the whl's website from his draft year or his rookie season he looks like a boy and you think at the end of his whl career he's suddenly six five and 215 pounds just the the growth that players can go through at that that age it's just a ridiculous challenge it's one of the things i'm intrigued about at the start of training camp every year is to see which guys come and i'm closest to the oil kings guys who i saw in april at the end of the season who look like completely different players in the fall. It's, it's always, mm-hmm. uh, it's a, it's an adventure almost. And, uh, that's, that's something I, I really, uh, uh, scouts who can figure that out, man, you're worth your weight in gold. So <laughs> kudos to those who can do that. Uh, when it comes to goaltenders this year, is there uh, a guy who is head and shoulders above the, uh, the pack or is there a good crop of goalies or how do you see that position? Uh, not from what I've heard. I think, you know, uh, it's something that we don't necessarily cover in puck preps. Um, it's something that like I, what that I've kind of found since I've started to do this, especially at the U15 level, is that, you know, the truth of the matter is last year um, and the year before, uh, both people like I had a number of people tell me this guy's going number one. He'll be the first goalie picked, guaranteed first goalie picked. Mm-hmm. And uh, they weren't either year. So <laughs> at the end of the day, I think for as, as far as goalies, I think every coach, every person sees something a little bit different. And so, you know, we, we could talk about it in a little bit, but I'm not a, I'm not a goalie expert guy. 
And uh, so it's something we kind of just leave to the teams and, and I think people kind of understand, but there is a, there is a bunch of good goalies. I think there's a, there's been a couple of, especially some of the high end ones. I think, you know, even a team like St. Albert had a really good goaltender this year, uh, rink, rink Academy, uh, Kelowna. There's some, you know, there's some good goaltenders out there too, but I think from what I've heard, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's a goaltender that is going to surprise really high. I think it's just, you'll see them go in good spots. Joel, we are talking about the CSSHL as the, the primary league to focus on. If we're talking about the NHL draft, of course, you've got the three CHL leagues in the USHL and some guys playing NCAA. And then you get wildcard stuff like U.S. high school. And the question is always, all right, well, he's really good there, but how would he be against higher, tougher competition? I imagine there are similar leagues that you're scouting for the WHL draft where you were in that same boat where you're thinking, okay, well, he's really good in this league, but how would he be in a tougher league uh, with against tougher mm-hmm. players? Are there some players that come to mind like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's nice, I think, when the top-end players get at least a sprinkling into a league above. Like, there's a lot of teams. Like, so Ryan Lynn, at the end of his year, he went and played some U17 games and looked great. And, uh, you know, Daxon Rudolph played some U18 tough games, I think, in January. And so it was nice to see him there. Uh, you know, it's it's really nice to kind of see that. And then there was the three players as well in this draft who played consistent U18 all year. And that was Noah Kosick, um, who I'd mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a center from the St. Albert Raiders U18, Brett Olson. Uh, you know, and there's a lot there's a lot of people think very highly of him as well. Like he'll be in this mix for the top of this draft as well. And uh, and then there's another player who is the, <laughs> the general manager of the Brandon Wheat King's son, uh, Jackson Jacobson. And so he's... He played for the Brandon Wee Kings U18 program all year and played very well for them. So it's uh, there are some mixtures of those kind of things, but it is nice when you get that sprinkling of guys who, who kind of go above and, and they start to show, um, yeah, I belong here. Or I'm not scared of this level or, you know, these kinds of things. I can still play the game to the level that I want to here. Um, there's some guys that need to make adjustments, but for the most part, it's just uh, it's fun to watch to see how they do. Uh, you were talking earlier about a pretty good top 15, you think, in this draft, and then there's a, a I don't know if there's a big drop-off or, or whatnot, but, I mean, at this age group, we see a lot of players, some guys don't even get drafted, who won't go on and have really good WHL careers, so it's not the, the be-all, end-all, the draft, but uh, I think Jordan Eberle was like a seventh-round pick, and selfishly, the Oil Kings are picking 12th. If you're looking at the top 15, they should still come away with a pretty uh, impactful player here. Absolutely. And I think, you know, they're a team where like, you know, just to throw out the speculation, I haven't heard anything about this or whatever, but just they're a team that I've thought about. What if they traded up and took the rocks? You know, like that's a consideration there as well. But there's some kind of good. So, you know, if they're there, because um, once again, it's like there's no those guys are going to go when someone decides that they want them in that range. You know what I mean? So it's like there's some teams around that range where maybe that's where they go with their picks and they kind of develop them that way. Um, you know, I think with Edmonton, I think there's a couple of guys around those range that are pretty close to home. There's a couple of Alberta kids that I think might go in that range. Um, one kid off the, the Calgary Bisons. There's another one that was, was, uh, playing, uh, close to home in, in St. Albert as well. So, uh, they could go a, a few different directions there, but, um, you know, Edmonton's known for picking good ones. You know, they don't usually miss too far. So, um, there's going to be a good one there for them, for sure. And I know some teams do go with uh, a regional bias uh, somewhat, as that might help with uh, convincing players to stay. Uh, Edmonton, I can't say, has have been that team a, a whole lot. I mean, Dylan Gunther was a local guy, but I mean, Gavin Hodnett's a, a Manitoba product, and they took him uh, in the first round a couple of years ago. But, um, yeah, I'll be interested to see 
how that one plays out. Anything, uh, are there two or three names that you can think of that you might be thinking personal favorites mid-draft sort of area? Guys you don't expect to go in the first round, but you really hope that you're, you're kind of secretly cheering for where they get a, a nice landing spot? I would say probably like I've kind of like asked some different people different opinions and one that I may be a little higher on than than uh, some people that I've talked to that I've just you know personally I become a champion for is uh, is a player that's just really easy to cheer for. His name's Cruz Pavale. Uh He was he played in the Edge program this year. He's a forward that just has a motor that doesn't quit. You know he's one of those people that the more you watch him, the more that you watch his shifts. It's just like he's constantly just slipping into better positions, slipping into better defensive position, slipping like he's he's one of those guys that's just quietly good all of the time, which, hey, that reminds me of Gavin Hodden. So <laughs> it's, uh, you know, there's uh, Gavin Hodden is one of those guys where it's just like the more that you watch him, you go like, ooh, he he's good. Like he's good all the time, you know, and uh, and I like those kind of players. I, I kind of, you know, I cheer for those players because um, I think sometimes they can be a little bit underrated and uh, it's their consistency and it's their, um, you know, it's their consistency of effort and there's the smarts to bring it out of them. And I think Cruz is a very uh, effort driven, smart player, very fast hands. Uh, beyond that, there's some there's some other guys that I just think are, you know, very fun. Um, you know, kind of when you go down the list. Um, let me just look here. Sure. Uh, there are some players as well. Like the one thing that I, I'll kind of warn some people, there's, there's some players that I really like who have already kind of either behind the scenes or whatever, have already chosen different paths. They've decided that they're going to go, you know, AJHL or NCAA or things like that. One player that I really like is, is uh, Nate Yellowaga. Uh, he's a, he's another player that played in that edge program. He's a very, very um, smooth skating defenseman. Uh, he's one of those guys that you watch and you can watch for days with how he moves his feet. Um, you can't catch him. You know, he's one of those, he's a defenseman that just, he's a transition dream. You know, he, he curls around, he evades pressure and moves fucks up the ice. And so he's somebody that's already announced that he's going to go the NCAA route. Um, and I think go to Brooks beforehand, but there's some guys like that, that I, I just really am excited about. Um, Roxton Rorchow, I'm wondering where he's going to go. Uh, he's a guy I really like a very high intelligent um, create a very, very high-end puck skills player off the Casey Squires team. Um, yeah, there's just, the more you go down the draft, I think I could kind of, you know, I could pick and choose and talk about any, everybody. Well, outstanding, Joel. I really appreciate your time and uh, educating me on the draft. And don't be surprised if I uh, send you a few messages. Uh, who is this guy? Who is that <laughs> guy uh, on draft day? But I really appreciate your time. Well, I would say as well, maybe one I'd, I'd mention at the end too. Sure. There's there's a player who like um, I had quite a bit lower on my list, and I, I've been slowly, 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 slowly moving him up by my list uh, as far as you know where I have him. And so from the list of where he is now um, to where he's going to be on my list, he's much higher. Um, but I think even teams you know might even like him uh, higher than I do. And I, so I think he's someone that you know watch for his name on the top end of things, and I, I think you won't be surprised. But his name's Riley Boychuk. Um, he was. Uh, he ended up being uh, the second uh, second in scoring, I believe, in the AEHL off uh, the Airdrie Extreme team. A very very talented team, um, and Riley Riley's one of those guys that can kind of put the puck on a string um, that we maybe haven't seen since someone like you know, oh, I guess, but but like someone like Ozzy Weisblatt. He's somebody that just high intelligence, high puck skills, um, just sneaky good all over the ice, and somebody you, you can't help but cheer for when he's out there. And so I think there's some teams that really like him as well. And so um, there's a lot of Albertan. That's the thing is, that, you know, in a strong Albertan year, there's a lot of Albertans that are that are very fun and easy to cheer for. So I think uh, people in the area will be quite happy. Terrific. Joel, thanks again, man. I really appreciate your time. No worries. 
That was Joel Henderson, director of scouting for Puck Preps. So you can follow them on Twitter at Puck Preps. You can follow Joel at that hockey doe, D A T H O C K E Y D O E. Popular guy this time of year. I saw that he was also a guest on uh, a recent edition of the Hockey News uh, WHL podcast. So, yeah, the Bantam draft or the WHL draft going next week. So, teams uh, restocking the cupboards, if you will. Although some teams have a lot less picks uh, than other teams, a lot fewer picks. And uh, three of those teams still active in the WHL playoffs as we're down to three teams. That's what happens when you go all in. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the show. A quick thank you to everyone who has signed up to be a patron at patreon.com slash show. Early access uh, to all the individual segments that you hear on a full episode of the show. Uh, those are all uh, chopped up and edited down uh, shortly after the interviews themselves have been uh, put together. Uh, and patrons who uh, cough up a couple of bucks a month, even less on an annual subscription, you get a 10% discount that way. Uh, but uh, patrons get early access to all of those interviews, so you get to hear them before the general public. If that's something you'd be interested in, go to patreon.com slash thepipelineshow. All right, next week, well, we might even know who the uh, league finalists will be, as uh, the Quebec Ramparts and the Winnipeg Ice are through into the finals in their respective uh, series. But who will the other four CHL finalists be we'll uh, we'll know in time for next week's show and i think we'll know in the ushl as well uh, as we get down to crunch time in uh, the playoffs in the world of prospect hockey exciting times that's for sure might be able to track down another 2023 draft spotlight uh, segment as well maybe a couple perhaps a player or two who were over at the world u18 so lots to look forward to next week here on the show until then get out and watch some junior playoff hockey so we can talk about it next week right here on the pipeline show it's brought to you by wilhock beef jerky and my name is key flaming have a great weekend everybody